Welcome to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter. Whether you feel that you don't have enough money to start investing or are under the preconceived notion that investing is only for the wealthy, Magnus and his expert guests are here to help you. Now here is your host, Magnus Carter. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Magnus Carter. You are on the the Making More Money for You show on Voice America Business Channel. I hope you all had a pleasant and very thankful Thanksgiving and hopefully didn't eat too much food uh, that you're still able to walk, to actually move and function. Uh, last week, we had a wonderful guest, uh, Bernadette Bowes, and we talked about, uh, am I really the disgruntled one or is it uh, everybody else around me? And <laughs> to, that show was amazing. Uh, there's a lot of tidbits to make your work life and uh, whether you're in the corporate world or outside working for yourself, a little bit happier and a little bit uh, better paced, if you will. Well, this week, uh, the last week in November, I can't believe it already, uh, I have a very good guest with me. I have Omni, the investor guy, that is going to talk about about uh, some things that we uh, that's actually you see for sale and for lease signs everywhere. We're going to talk about commercial real estate. Omni, welcome to the show. Magnus, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you're you're uh, a commercial investor and, you know, I've seen that you've been doing this for over 20 years. Uh, you're also an attorney. Uh, can you give us a little bit more background on why you decided to actually start investing in commercial real estate? Yeah. So quick correction, not an attorney. Um, so oh, I say no. not an attorney quite often, but I am a broker and I'm an investor. So I don't want anyone calling me for legal advice uh, <laughs> after this. But you're, you're exactly right. Real estate in general. I've uh, been doing this for about 20 years. I started out in Hawaii, where I'm from, and and started my real estate investing career, my brokerage career out there. And and I'm currently in um, Northern Virginia, just outside of D.C. And although from a brokerage standpoint, so I run an office and I have the oversight of both residential, commercial, and the investing side of things. At heart, I'm an investor and try to invest as much as possible. And whether it's residential or commercial, um, it's just it's just a different path. And most people kind of stick with one or the other. I believe you can kind of, um, a lot of people start in the residential world and then eventually work their way up to commercial because they want to work towards bigger and bigger deals. And it's just understanding the math, understanding the business aspects behind it are much more important as you kind of dive into that commercial side. So um, it's been fun learning that and, and also teaching that, you know, to other investors along the way. Wow, that's... That's incredible, especially when you tra make that transition. Uh, I had a couple guests on before. I had Lane Kaukawa on, Kawoka, uh, from Hawaii on, on the show as well. And he, we talked about multi-dwelling units and uh, how people actually invest in that. And the investing world in that is actually booming. And I was I, that was on the res residential side. So I had some guests on for a commercial, but we really never talked about the commercial side of things. So what are a couple of differences that you notice from transitioning from residential into commercial? Yeah, it, um, you know, a lot of it comes down to, so people invest in real estate because if you compare real estate versus any other investment, right? Why does someone invest in real estate versus um, the stock market versus the Bitcoin versus so many other options out there? Um, real estate allows you to buy it with someone else's money, 
And that's one of the, the only, you know, assets out there, right? You can't go to your banker and say, I want to go borrow a million dollars to buy a million dollars of Bitcoin. I want to borrow a million dollars to buy a million dollars of, you know, this uh, Apple stock or whatever it may be. Um, but you can borrow a million dollars to buy a million dollar real estate asset, whether it's residential or commercial. And so that ability to leverage is one of the most important things out there that sets it apart. Because if I only have, let's just call it $100,000, mm-hmm. and I put that $100,000 in the stock market, and there's nothing wrong with the stock market, but let's just say that's where I put it, a year later, let's say the stock market goes up and down, up and down, up and down, and we're at, we're exactly 10 percent higher right so my hundred thousand dollars made ten thousand dollars however if at the exact same time someone else let's say my brother decides to put that hundred thousand dollars in real estate and a year later it goes up exactly by ten percent chances are he has more than ten thousand dollars in gains because he probably put that as a down payment let's say he put that as a ten percent down payment on a million dollar property a million dollars that went up in by ten percent is now a hundred thousand dollar gain Right. So you had a 100% return just because you were able to leverage. And so leverage is so important to understand in real estate in general. And when you're dissecting the differences between residential and commercial, the leverage rules are slightly different. So if you talk about you bought your primary residence or you buy a single family rental property or a duplex or a triplex or a quadplex, all those types of residential properties typically fall into more traditional 30-year fixed financing uh-huh. and anything above that five six seven eight units on the multifamily residential side or even commercial buildings retail strip malls whatever it may be typically fall into five-year mortgages 10-year mortgages 15-year mortgages so they have balloon payments to understand uh-huh. uh, and the amortization schedule is a little bit different. So um, just, you know, getting one loan for a residential versus a loan for the commercial, the exact same price um, in both asset classes, um, the fact that the mortgage is balloon payment and uh, amortized over maybe 20 years instead of 30 years raises that payment. And so you need to uh, understand how that affects your cash flow. Um, ultimately, your cash flow affects the value of a commercial property. Um, so on the residential side, um, I might, you know, to determine the value of my home, I might look at Zillow, I might look at, you know, whatever uh, web website it is, and they're determining the value of my home based on what similar homes to mine have sold for. On the commercial side, is typically income-based. It's not so much what our nearby property is selling for, it's what is my total expenses versus my total income and my net operating income gives me a factor where I can determine this is the value of my property. So if I raise my rents or if I decrease my expenses, that actually raises a value in my property um, as a commercial uh, building owner. So it gives you much more flexibility regardless of what the market is doing as a commercial owner because you can raise the value of your building even if the market is stagnant or even slightly declining um, as long as you are a good operator and you are, you know, your bottom line is being improved. Okay. Wow. Okay. There's a lot there to dissect and we've covered a lot of technical stuff there. Uh, So let's, let's start off with banks. Banks. One, well, one reason, one way banks make money is by lending money. So they can't lend you money to return money and try to charge you a tax on that. So of course they came out with the mortgage. Am I right on that? And then. Correct. Okay. So. When they came out with that product, which they are products that they try to sell 
to everybody out there, anybody that that can uh, go into some sort of uh, contract with that they're going to make money off of you. So when that's when when you're looking at that aspect of it, is it smart to shop around at all banks out there? Because I'm sure, depending on the area and the state that you get your 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 funds from, will also determine your contract. Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, your bank, your lender, your mortgage broker, whatever it may be, um, is often state specific. There are some national ones out there, but typically it's state specific, especially if you're on the commercial side or on the investing side. Um, you're just not going to Bank of America. You're going to some sort of community bank or even investor commercial specific bank that's regional. And um, in terms of um, who has better rates, um, Typically, everyone has the same rates, you know, on any given day, someone might be a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but everyone gets their money, you know, essentially from the same place. They're backed by the same place, at least. Um, if we look at the residential side, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac um, backs all of these loans and they have a risk tolerance that they put into the marketplace that really affects the loans. Um, what's in the, um, you know, in the news today and in the news every single you know almost day this year is the fed right raising mm -hmm. rates or lowering rates they haven't lowered rates in a while but raising rates raising. Uh, that's <laughs> one of the main tools to counteract inflation right so we have inflation the the um everything's going up in cost um cost of goods costs of labor um and so we have a hundred dollars um, in the bank, as an example, that's probably worth $90 today versus a year ago, right? The exact same $100 buys about $90 worth of goods um, and probably buys like $85 worth of goods compared to two years ago. And so we go back to 20 years ago, it's like $50, $50 worth, right? So the same money, if you're saving money in the bank and it's not getting any, any sort of return, it's actually losing value because of inflation. Now, it's a natural thing that happens. Uh, the U.S. economy typically thrives on roughly a 2% inflation um, rate. And we've kind of hovered around that for quite a while, but we've, we've been up in the five, six, seven, eight, 9% inflation rate um, for, for the better part of a year and a half, almost two years now. And one of the main tools to bring that down is, is increasing the interest rates um, to stop the spending, to stop the spending and make it harder to spend. Obviously real estate is one of many markets that get affected by the Fed raising the rates. Um, they've raised it multiple times this year, but every time they do it, that um, has a reaction to the mortgage rates out there, has a reaction mm -hmm. to uh, credit card rates and many other types of um, uh, lending rates out there. Uh, um, it slows things down. It, it costs more money for us to own real estate if we um, are getting a new loan. But the good news is we know that it's eventually going to slow down and that eventually those interest rates should come back down. Maybe not to where they were, but um, pretty close to some my guess is somewhere in that 4 to 5% interest rate range. And that's a healthy market. If you can buy a property and lock in a 45 or 5.5% interest rate for 20 years or 30 years, now your main expense for that property is fixed. It doesn't go up. But okay. if you are a good operator and you maintain the value of the property, you should be able to raise rents and those rents over time will increase and increase. And so the, the asset itself increases in value, even though the cost to own that asset doesn't really in increase in value. So it's a great um, game to play if you know understand which partners to bring in and lending, um, you know, financial institutions or, you know, investing lenders are, are great partners to have.
Okay. Now, you did make a good point with the balloon payments on the end of it. So the bank is actually betting on that you're going to get more money income streams. So they can actually afford to do that and do that because if I'm wrong, please please correct me, that they started off that your payments are very low because you don't have an income stream. But uh, as years go on, you like you said before, we actually – uh, or you, the uh, the owner or potential owner or person in process of owning will actually gather more money and they can charge more at, at the later stages of the mortgage. Am I right? Yeah, there's probably wrong? many factors why they do that. And and, and I'm not a banker, uh, just like I'm not an attorney. <laughs> I know I, I might play a banker on TV sometimes, but no, the reality is um, it's really risk for them, right? And you know, they are they're borrowing money from someone and they're lending out money, right? And so they're making a delta on the difference, right? So if they're okay. borrowing money at 2% and they're lending out at 7%, the simple math tells us they're making 5%. Now that's not what's, what they're making, but right, so <laughs> they're making a margin there uh, and they're making fees on, on, on transactions. Now the problem is um, as the market goes up uh, for what what those, um, what those uh, notes can be sold on the secondary market, right? So if you have a 20-year, um, if you are the bank and you own a 20-year mortgage of 4%, but right now, every anyone out there can get a 7% loan. Your 4% um, a mortgage that you're trying to sell to other investors to keep on their books is not that appealing to them. Because right. they're just, I'm going to go buy a new mortgage that just got created because I'm going to make 7% instead of 4%, right? And right. so- them not locking into a 30-year loan at you know 4% really protects them of the fluctuation in the markets and allows them to adjust a much more, more um, it mitigates their risk more than anything. Um, and you're exactly right. If every five years you are refinancing, you are, because it's a balloon payment, it's not amortized all the way. So it's not paid off at the end of five years. There's a huge chunk of money that you got to bring to the table by either selling the property digging into your savings, or you're going to refinance, and then they put a new loan on top of that. Typically, that bank is willing to do that if the market's still stable, and if the, the asset is still stable, and you as the operator are still responsible. Um, they're, they're usually first in line to do that. So over a lifespan of 30 years, they might do that three, four, five times, and they do make an extra margin on those fees. Okay. Oh yeah, because they had the the fee, all the lawyer fees, the co the closing fees, uh, the contract fees, all, whatever whatever fee that you signed like the the eight inch book on, that's, <laughs> that's in there. <laughs> um, now with the market now, how was in the last three years we've been through so many changes in the world. Uh, one thing that I've noticed a lot of, and I'm part of uh, for daily job, on top of doing this is people are working from home. A lot of companies are ditching the office. So when the companies are ditching the office and flooding the market with a lot of potential, how does that um, play into your strategy as an investor? Yeah. So um, from an investor standpoint, you're always looking for opportunity, right? What is uh, what's something that's hard? Is there, a, is there a problem out there that you can solve and everyone else is scared of that problem? 
Um, you know, and if so, if you are going against the grain, then you should be okay. Um, so for example, at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, everyone was nervous about real estate and it just kind of paused for a while, a short while. Uh, everyone remembers the craziness of how much it shot up, but there's a pause because there was a shutdown. You couldn't do much. Um, and you start to have talks of like what you were hearing right now. Like, oh my goodness, are we going into a recession? Is the real estate market going to crash? Are we in a bubble? And that pause just kind of made me as an, as an investor think, you know what? I need to go all in. I need to, everyone, all my competition is taking a breather right now. I need to go all in. I typically try to buy five to 10 properties a year. We made a goal last year to buy 52 properties. Wow. And we went all in. We tried to buy one per week. Um, now, eventually the competition caught up to us and the, the floodgates opened and everyone started to buy properties. But for a short window there, I was like the only buyer out there. So I could dictate the terms. Um, I got sellers to agree to do, you know, seller financing, you know, much more favorable terms than if you're heavy in competition. And so whenever the market's going up or down or whatever it's doing, just look for a moment where everyone else is afraid. And if you're willing to do something and every single thing that I bought, I bought with very strict principles and rules that I follow, meaning even if the market crashed, I was going to be okay. Like even if the market crashed, they were still going to make sense for me. They were cash flowing. If the market crashed and the value dropped by 10%, I was still okay because I bought enough value in there. I was not planning to sell them. I was planning to keep them forever. That's really my main strategy is keep as many properties forever and just keep that cash flow from it. And the right. cash flow typically does not drop like like prices drop in, in a real estate market crash. Often, sometimes the rental prices stay the same, if not sometimes go up because there's more renters in the market if there is some sort of housing crisis. And and although not directly correlated, um, the commercial market obviously follows a suit of what's happening with the tenants, you know, as, as well. And as you mentioned, so many people are working from home. Um, you have landlords that have more vacant properties or a lease is coming up and they're worried they might not be able to fill it. So you might be able to get it in there and get it lower than market value because they are nervous. Now, office is a small segment of the commercial market and it's what comes to mind because we all have a home and we typically all have an office, right? So those are the two things think of, but there's so many other types of asset classes within commercial. You have self-storage, you have um, retail, you have flex space, you have so many other things um, that are not declining like the office space is. Um, and so those sectors, um, there's at least, really, it's depending on your area, supply and demand, our area, um, it is still such a low inventory market where um, sellers are, are still dictating terms on many of those uh, scenarios. And there's a need for millions of more square footage to be built, even in the, in the commercial sector. So that that still goes back to the underlying factor of real estate. It's driven by the overall economy of that area. And that area economy, are the employers, are the jobs still there? Um, if so, then that um, allows employers to pay rents. That allows you know homeowners to go home and, and pay rents or pay mortgages as well. Okay. Well, that's a great thing because you brought up jobs and everything and whatnot. Have you seen with these downturn of events, a lot of new businesses starting up in your, with within your uh, purview of being? A yeah, I think um, in, in the last couple of years, um, there have been so many more people 
willing to jump out and maybe you had an idea to start a business or be an entrepreneur or be a real estate agent or real estate investor, whatever it may be. Um, and then the forced pause that we all felt, right? The forced pause that we all lived through of stay home for a while kind of got people thinking. Like some people loved it as a vacation. Some people were restless and saying, I just need to do something. Um, and I might as well have this, use this as an opportunity to like be incubate my business idea, if you will. So I saw a lot of those business ideas like flash and then go away. But some of those are absolutely still pushing forward. So I work with investors right now, I work with agents, I work with small business owners that started during the pandemic that probably never would have started unless they had that forced pause that they were required to take, that break that they were required to take. And so it uh, really comes down to, I, I think we are going to see a lot more independent small business owners out there, a lot more people trying to kind of take control of their income. We're shifting into a gig economy you know, less um, salary and wages and more. I do this task and I'm going to make X amount of dollars because I did that task. That task might take me 10 minutes. It might take me an hour. It might take me a year. I'm going to get paid the same amount for that production that I, that I produce. And we're going to see more and more of that. I love that mindset because I'm all about, I'm very lazy. So I'm all about how can I do it with the least amount of time or how can I do it by paying someone else to do it for me and I'm going to make a margin on that. So I try to turn all those into business opportunities. Um, and really that's what drives efficiency in our economy is finding a more efficient way to do a business or, you know, sell a product or offer a service. And I think, um, what we're seeing is, you know, the creativity uh, of, you know, the average American um, turning that into an opportunity. Okay. Wow. That, yeah. Uh, I was definitely one on, on that bandwagon because I didn't want to start traveling again. <clears throat> Honestly, living out of a suitcase got old after the first year and a half. So I can actually see that, that happening. Now, out of all the classes that we talked about, what is one of your favorite classes of commercial property to invest in that you, you yeah. know you got to have it yeah i i i think it's um mid-sized multifamily is still my favorite and people think that's residential but the reality is if it's a building with more than five residential units it's actually a commercial class property um, because the loans are different and so it marries both of my worlds. It marries the residential side that I've had so much experience in, but it also uh, is much more efficient. I don't have to go buy 10 properties. I can buy one property that has 10 rental units in there. And guess what? I'm getting the rental income of 10 properties and it's easier for me to manage it. And so it becomes much more efficient if you're able to do that at, at scale. Um, and so as I buy properties now, I typically look for things that have multiple tenants, not just one tenant in it. Um, and that allows me to, you know, um, secure as many tenants as possible, which are as many passive income streams as possible, um, you know, for um, the minimal amount of properties that I need to acquire. Okay. Wow. I, I figured you would have said storage because everybody has stuff and it never stops. You always find stuff somewhere that you need. You don't have space for it. I figured you would have said that one instead. <laughs> no, I, storage is a great asset class. I'm not an expert at it by no, by any means. Uh, one of my friends, A.G. Osborne, is like an industry expert on that. And if anyone wants to learn about storage, uh, he's the guy to look up. But but you're exactly right. Um, you, you look at your tenant 
so your rent is much lower. It's not a thousand bucks a month. It's a hundred bucks a month for a storage unit, but it is something that no matter what people want to keep their stuff. And if they have to downsize their living situation and go from a 4,000 uh, a month rental unit to go to a $2,000 a month rental unit, one of the things they give up is space. Right. And so yeah. they're like, all right, I can go from a $4,000 rental unit to a $2,000 rental unit plus a hundred dollar a month storage unit. And I have my stuff there. Um, so it, you're exactly right. It is a great asset class. It's just not something that I've, um, mastered yet, but it is on, on, on the list to do. Okay. All right. Well, we've talked about that because I know I'm one for it because I do the same thing. <laughs> uh, plus you have to have this, the, the land to do that type of investing to actually build those units and whatnot and get permits and zoning and whatnot. But, you know, we, we've talked so much about everything so far we covered, you know, the banks we covered a lot of the um the in, not really the ins and outs but what to expect when you go to the go to a bank or or a lending fight or a broker whichever whichever you prefer and you know each one of them has their pros and cons to it but on top of that we've pretty much went through we went through a lot of things about um getting getting started you know like you said you you had how long did it actually take you to to realize that you wanted to do this? Oh, that's a great question. So um I, I think back to my you know 20 year old self or whatever it was. Um I was in Hawaii. Um I was working at a surf shop actually. I sold surfboard, so clearly completely different than, than real estate. Um, and I was always good at sales, I was always good at business, and I love businesses. I've started up a few businesses outside of real estate. Um, but real estate just seemed like an amazing business. So I actually was fixing and fixing up and uh, selling surfboards, okay. so flipping surfboards, if you will. And then real estate just was like the natural thing to learn how to do, right? It's a higher okay. ticket value of how do I fix up, add value and sell. So that was my my mindset shift into, all right, I need to learn how to do this and did not know it was going to take me on a path for the next 20 years, but amazing business to be in. So almost 20 years ago. Okay, wow. Uh, that's definitely a different path than most take, especially from surfboards to buildings uh, or the buildings that the surfboards are made in. We'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, right now we've burnt, we ran through the first part of the of the show, Omni. And I can thank you enough for being here. I know I've been getting asked quite a bit of questions about uh, commercial properties and commercial investing. So unfortunately we got, well, not we do need to take a quick break uh, for a couple of commercials and whatnot, but we're going to be right back and we're going to get more into the investing side of things and how to actually figure out when's the best time to sell and a couple other topics. So everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. I have Omni, the investor guy, and we're talking commercial investing. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. 
Everyone deserves the opportunity to have access to the knowledge to make their own choices when it comes to where their money goes. Listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter will give you that access. Investing isn't just for the wealthy. Making More Money for You, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Making More Money for You with Magnus Carter. If you have any questions for Magnus or his guests, join us on the show at 866-472-5789. That's 866-472-5789. Now back to the show. Here is Magnus Carter. Good day, everybody. Welcome back to the show, or if you're tuning in, welcome to the show. Uh, the first part of the show has been a trailblazer. We have covered multiple topics on investing in commercial real estate, from banking to figuring out what is actually a good version of investing. A little bit of Omni, the investor guy's background, why he's actually investing in it, how he got there, which will actually bring us to now. Welcome back to the show, Omni. Thank you very much. And I apologize. I know I tend to uh, get excited about these topics and just go on and on and on, but we can definitely dive deeper into some of them. Oh, absolutely. No, the excitement is wonderful. I'm, don't don't apologize for that, especially if this is your passion. Well, it's also your livelihood as well. Uh, but there's people out there that are scared and nervous to do these things because of the the market, because they keep hearing all these bad things, the, the real estate and uh, is going to go down, inflation. And of course, we can't forget the 2008 debacle of the whole, whole uh, real estate as a whole, you know, after that. So we did get started into that. But what happens when somebody is actually starting and has a couple of rental properties and they actually either want to transition into commercial or they want to expand their commercial um, yeah, enterprising? Good, <laughs> and I get that question quite often. I, I, I run a free education group here uh, called the Castle Breakfast Club. And one of the topics is exactly that. How do you get into real estate? Or if you're in real estate, how do you get to the next level going from residential to multifamily or from multifamily uh, to commercial? And really, it, it's it's simple. It, it, all you what I, what I do every single time when someone asks me that question is I just need to find out what is their end goal, right? And so what are they doing with it? Is this a job? Is this a business portfolio that they're they're trying to create? Um, or is there something bigger um, for that? So the reason I got into real estate, the real reason I want to buy as many rental properties as possible is I wanted that financial freedom, or I call it the cash flow freedom equation, um, where if I got hit by a bus tomorrow and my wife's not working and my kids, you know, they, they need income, they have that income, right? So if I wanted to stop working tomorrow, um, you know, I've, I've had a lot of sales jobs, uh, a lot of um, business um, where I've, I've played very active roles in businesses. 
And the moment I stopped doing what I was doing, the income stopped, right? And so um, I really started to look at um, a book that probably gets mentioned uh, quite often is Rich Dad, Poor Dad, mm-hmm. um, this mindset shift book of understanding active income versus passive income. And I really, really wanted to just master the passive income side. And I wanted to, um, so when I started, my goal was in the 20s to be financially free and to retire. And so I basically put my head down and bought as many rental properties as I could. I figured out how much money did I need every single month coming in passively without me working for me to consider myself financially free. And if I never earned active income again, I would be okay. And I said, all right, that means I need X amount of rental properties. And I just did the math backwards and Mm -hmm. figured it out to try and buy one property a year and then two properties a year and then five properties a year and then, you know, uh, up to 40 plus properties a year. And so that was my goal. And not everyone has the ultimate financial freedom goal, but if you do have that focus, and that goal, it ma- actually makes it so much easier. Like if you just know you're going towards financial freedom and you're going to work and buy one, two, three, four, five, 10, 15, 100, 1,000, 10,000, whatever it is to hit your number and your goal, um, then it makes it easier because without a true goal or a real reason why you need real estate, whether it's residential or commercial, or whether you need to scale up from residential to commercial, um, you're going to give up. Most people give up at some point because it gets hard. Right? At some point, you're going to hit a down cycle. At some point, you're going to hit a bad tenant. At some point, you're going to have an experience where you're going to say, well, that was terrible. Uh, why am I doing this? I'm going to go back to a job that I was good at. And I, you know, I'm just going to you know, stay in my safe zone. Um, you know, but if you know that pushing through that terrible, pushing through that hard, pushing through those difficult situations means in two years, you can be financially free, then it's a much bigger meaning. Um, right now, uh, I was having the conversation, you know, so much happening in, in talks of recession and, you know, we have friends in lending industries, we have friends in real estate and investing. And right now the lending industry is getting hit, right? Cause they're, the interest rates are so high. So many people are hesitant to take out new mortgages. And if you're a loan officer, if you're a processing manager, if you're anything in that field, your transaction volume probably dropped by a third, by, by it's at 25% of what it was just six months ago. And so means they are way overstaffed. They cannot afford. And so we're seeing layoffs after layoffs after layoffs. Many of these big lending companies, um, and some of these are our friends in, in the industry. And my wife is saying, you know, that it's just sad, right? You know, and and understanding the pain that that's one industry. Many people are going to be going through that possibly, you know, as we get more and more into a recessionary environment. Um, and my wife basically just said, I'm so grateful that we went down this path, right? So we went down the real estate investing path and we've been financially free for, for quite some time, meaning I still work actively, but we don't need that active income. We get to choose what we want to do and when we want to work. Because if I stopped working today, my rental income pays for our family's expenses. Our rental income pays for, you know, everything that we need. Um, and most people can get there, um, but most people get there quicker if they venture into that commercial space, right? So most people look at one, two rental properties, three rental properties, four rental properties, and they're saying, okay, how do I scale up to something bigger instead of you know, um, $2,000 a month or $3,000 a month, how do I get to $30,000 a month in one acquisition? Um, and that's where that shift of mindset comes into play or that shift of what you're targeting. Um, and unless you have a lot of money saved up, it's hard to make that jump. But 
if you don't have all the money saved up, then you can find partners. You can, you know, bring a skill set to the table where someone that has the money but doesn't have the skill set um, will need to partner with you or want to partner with you um, on a deal. Um, so I've done many deals where I did not bring the money to the table. Right. I've done many deals where I did bring the money to the table. It really just comes down to what are you bringing to the table? And if you are willing to partner with people to achieve that goal, uh, real estate becomes um, one of the best businesses out there. So there's many ways to start business ventures and partnerships um, in the real estate space. Okay. Well, you touched on quite a bit there. I'm not going to lie. That's that's a very deep dive into this, which is great. Uh, But how much out there have you seen or do you feel a lot of people aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing or taking that leap because of everybody out there in society social media included is all fear all fear oriented not getting you to do that so have you have you experienced that or and have you been part of that yeah, there, there's so much fear. So, so one, I, I do my best to not consume a lot. Like I'm on social media, but I don't try to consume a lot of social media. Right. I, I do my best to not like just be stuck to the news. I need to know what's happening in the economy and a few things. Mm-hmm. But the reality is um, fear sells, right? Fear absolutely oh, sells. And, and it, it turns out more and more as, as the various channels understand that it, it has become worse and worse. Right. So it's hard to keep a positive mindset, um, you know, when when that is the 24-hour news cycle uh, from all angles, right? So I, I first, I do my best to kind of stay away from that. Um, you know, every single morning, I kind of have a morning routine. I, I, I'm reading a book. I'm, I'm I, there, there's some some um, quiet space that I need to get to. I need to reset my brain every single day. I try to get to what's called like a state of flow. Um, okay. And and you know, you put yourself into the state of flow. Um, like your brain, the neurons in your brain just fire at a different pace. And it, you actually become like, it's almost like a, a, like a, a super human skill to get into a state of flow. And it's hard to get into unless you are, 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 are good at it. But um, pro athletes get into it. It's like getting into the zone if you're a pro athlete, right? So at some point you get into the zone and they're like, I don't remember most of it, but I was just, I could not miss a shot, right? Or whatever it may be. But in business or or just in life, you can get into the state of flow through like meditation, through reading, through quiet time and intentionally trying to get there. And so my goal is every single morning, try to get into a state of flow. And then I have my business task or my problem that I'm going to jump into the moment that I see I'm in the state of flow. And okay. and if I get there, then I'm like, all right, here's the problem that I need to solve. Or here's the equation that we're working on, or here's the business that I'm looking to build. And you know, me spending an hour in state of flow is like, I don't know, 10, 15 hours of productivity outside of that. So that's kind of that life hack that I've picked up over the years is every morning, try to get into a state of flow. And I actually get more done in the morning before I actually leave the house and, and go to the office or go to anything else because um, I'm in this quiet zone. Um, once you leave the house and you're starting to reply to emails and take calls, um, the reality is you're not in a state of flow anymore at, at that point. So it becomes much more difficult to be hyper-focused and, you know, tap into that superpower uh, ability that we all have. Okay. Yeah. I have multiple guests on the show. I, I'm sure you've been on other shows as well that say the exact same thing is we have to train ourselves to not go where the mind wants to lead us because yeah. we are, we're not made to have negative. Uh, 
but we've been conditioned so much through our jobs, through life, through through everything that we're supposed to be that way and not take the chance and just be, okay, well, I'm not going to go invest in this today and someone else is going to go buy the property, but I'll wait. There's going to be another one tomorrow or there's going to be, there's always tomorrow on that. Yeah, it, so. it really comes down to, and back to your original question, the, the fear out there. Um, and if you are afraid and and let that fear dictate who you are or how you act, then you are going to be average like everyone else. The average person is going to do nothing. And that means that they're average, right? And it really takes someone that's extraordinary or willing to go against the grain and be afraid maybe, but regardless of being afraid, they are going to still go forward and hit their goals or make an offer or buy properties or whatever it may be. About once a month, we put on this education event called the Cashflow Breakfast Club. And uh, we have one coming up in about a week. And that's exactly what the topic is. That is, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of things going on in the economy, but this is the opportunity. The reality is six months ago, you couldn't, you didn't have a shot. You were trying to make an offer. There's a thousand other people trying to buy that same property. Right now, you might be the only one so you can dictate terms, you can find better deals, you can think things through clearly if you're going through the process and people see the roadblock of the interest rate, the interest rate is temporary, right? You buy it at, a, at the high interest rate, you can refinance that down the road. And so really it is almost, I'm standing on a pedestal telling like my friends and my family, just continue to buy, 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 buy smart within the right parameters. Because um, short term, we don't know what's going to happen, right? In the next six well, months, the next year, we don't know what's going to happen. Long term, I know exactly what's going to happen. The floodgates are going to going to open back up, and the market's going to go crazy again, mm -hmm. right? There's this artificial dam. I put this out on social media, I think, this morning, and I drew out this this diagram of what happened during COVID, and we we saw this crazy market of supply and demand. We had way less supply than we had demand, right? So less homes to buy or commercial properties to buy than there were actually buyers. And then COVID came in and this dam was put in place. No one could do anything. And so it slowed down drastically. But the reality, when you put a dam in place, it builds up, right? You get the, right. the water the flow. Builds. It becomes a lake behind it. The pressure builds up. They took that dam away. And that's what led to the craziness that we saw over the last two years. We had the most insane market because of the dam. Right now, there's a dam in place. A dam was put up by the Fed intentionally to slow down inflation, but we have this huge 7% dam in place that's doing what it's supposed to do. It's slowing it down. But all the buyers that were supposed to buy last month and the month before and the month before, they didn't go away. They're still there. They're just waiting, right? So okay. in a month, in two months, in three months, in four months, in a year, whenever it is, that dam has to come down. And when that dam comes down, we have all this pent up demand and we're going to see one of the craziest markets that we've ever seen. Yeah, um, we've seen it in the car market. We've seen that, you know, I, I know we're talking about uh, commercial commercial uh, property right now, but car market, the car industry did the same thing to us and car lots. Car lots went out of business. I have I have never seen so many car lots go out of business that are multi-million dollar car lots that have the dealerships have been in there for like 60 plus years are out of business because they don't have the supply. And on yeah. top of that is people don't want to pay that that price for it. <clears throat> but to get back to what we're doing now, especially with the buildings and whatnot, buildings aren't going anywhere. Unless there's a natural disaster that happens, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> they're they're uh -huh. going to be there tomorrow or the next day. So, and you're right. Um, and with people moving around with uh, 
we've I know we've talked about the job status. Uh, markets are gaining and losing people all the time, and it's more or less a shuffle shuffle process. So when that happens, do you have a game plan for uh, more for when that does happen? When uh, people start moving away and people move in, uh, new people move in. Do you have like a game plan or set parameters that detail that in each of your um, environments? Yeah, so it, yeah, exactly. And I invest in multiple markets. So uh, if we're talking about like the overall trends of markets, right, that's mm-hmm. really employer based um, and understanding what that looks like. And, and those are not short term. Those are long term trends typically. Um, you know, when a major employer or a major industry pulls out of an area, you can see what happens. Just look at, you know, Detroit when when the the auto industry really you know halted, right? And what happened to to that? So I I look for areas that aren't heavily dependent on just one industry, um, but have multiple, you know, employers, industries, universities, whatever it may be, to to pull from. And if that's the case, then you know that if your tenant, whoever it may be. Um, always has uh, an industry to be in or, or a reason to exist as a business or if it's a, if it's a residential then you know they, they need to be there for a job they have multiple options to, to choose from ultimately there's natural turnover whether it's whether it's you know um, the business lease ends whether it's the residential lease ends whether someone loses their job or a business goes out of business mm-hmm. um, and so that's usually the job of the property manager. Um, part of uh, a successful real estate investor is putting a great team together. The first thing I do is make sure I have a really good real estate agent and a really good property manager in that area. Um, I'm a terrible property manager. I've tried it multiple times starting out. I'm like, I can save a few bucks, right? And and uh, do that. Uh, but the reality is, um, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm not cut out for that. So I got to hire somebody that knows what they're doing and their ability to bring in the right tenant or or fa- focus on the right you know business class or whatever it may be to fill that space is is very important okay that that was a great segue cuz i was just about to ask you is like who do you need on staff to start and how and what do you need to go to to the next level what personnel what staff your rockstar team your rockstar team and it's probably the same in residential and commercial so you you need you need a broker that is investor friendly uh, you need a, a, a residential or commercial broker that is focused in that area. There are no national brokers out there. It's it's all market specific. Um, and if you're investing in a class, it's it's nice that they're investing in it too. Like I try to find um, business partners that I'm going to trust that believe in the asset class that I'm investing in. They are an investor. So if I'm if I'm going to buy a small multifamily, I want to buy buy it in an area where I can find an agent and a property manager that also invest in small multifamily in that area. Like they believe in it, okay. right? And so very, very key, are they competent? Do they run it like a business? And the reality is, um, you know, from from a broad view, there's so many complaints about real estate agents not not being able to help investors or, or property managers. And everyone sucks to a point. Everyone is terrible <laughs> to a point. We're all human. Yeah, you're right. Say that out loud. <laughs> um, but the only reason is, it's it's all about expectations, right? So if you don't understand my expectations, but I still have those expectations, you suck or you're terrible. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, so, so, sucks so, is the right word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the reality is 
if you know my expectations, now you can achieve them. Or if you don't achieve them, there's an explanation as to why. And most investors, most property owners, um, and I was at fault for this, are terrible of relaying our expectations, relaying what we think. In our mind, we have this master design plan of how things should go. And when it doesn't go that way, we're going to blame and point our finger at somebody. But the reality is my property manager didn't know. They didn't know my master plan. They didn't know my expectations. They ran their business like a thousand other landlords were okay with them running their business. And I'm the one that wants them to run it differently, right? So I need to relay my expectations correctly. So uh, even though it's business, even though it's property, it's still a people business. Uh, you cannot run a successful real estate business without um, having a communication skill to relay expectations, manage the expectations, and hold people accountable for those expectations. You can turn a mediocre property manager, mediocre agent, even a mediocre real estate property into an amazing property, amazing property manager, amazing agent, if you have the right expectations and those expect expectations are being met. Okay. Well, that's that's definitely because that goes into your whole planning and strategy phase. Uh, it's actually good. So do you involve those folks when you're when you're actually looking to buy new people and another place, not people, uh, another, uh, another investment, or do you have a separate set of folks for that? Yeah, they, they are part of your advisory team. Right? You're okay. exactly right. So for example, a property manager, we think about a property manager, they make a percentage of the rents collected. And if you go to them and you want them to treat you, they, you want them to treat you like you're the most important person in the world, but they have a hundred other clients, right? So they can't really do that. But if you tell them, hey, I just bought this one property, but my goal is to buy 100 properties in this area. My goal is to buy as many properties as I can over the next 5, 10, 15 years, whatever it may be. And I want to all be with you. It makes sense for it to, to all be with you. Um, the only way I get there is if I'm successful as a business owner with this one property. And here are my expectations. And so I tell every property manager that I have in every area and every agent that I have in every area, I want to buy as much as I can around you. You're a rock star and you give me the, the confidence to keep investing in this market. So you go find me those deals. You bring the opportunities to me. And if it makes sense, I'll buy them. And as long as you can continue to manage it so that it's a good business for me, then we're going to buy as many properties as we can. The moment you can't handle that and it's no longer, the numbers are not as good as what my expectations are or what it started out to be, then we're not going to continue to grow. We're not going to continue to buy in that area. So you almost put it in their hands, your growth, okay. in their market in their hands, and they can grow to as big as they want it to be because you've given them the confidence to do so. Oh, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense because you don't want, you want that person to not leave you and go to the competition because you want to keep them happy and you want to keep them motivated as well because it's their livelihood of even working for you uh, to make sure the business is running right. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome. So that's, that's wonderful. <laughs> that, I, um, people, you know, it's overlooked. They expect a lot of uh, owners and property owners um, that I've worked with and other types of investors don't do that. They they take advantage. They get the money out of them, and then if they leave, it's like okay, you're replaceable. But when you're doing what you're doing on such a grand scale, you want to keep that person around forever if they can, or and have them not even retire, but still work as a as as something as ad, um, an advisor or something because they know exactly where it's going. 
they they know the history of it. They know they know you, and they know the tenants. It's so much more valuable to keep an employee, to keep a contractor on your team, than to go out and and try to bring in someone new. And and really, that's probably with any business, right? So we're talking about real estate, but um, for example, this this investor meetup that I run, Cashflow Breakfast Club, we're expanding to a hundred different markets, right? I don't, I can't do that. I don't have the time to do that. And so we created a business, right? We hired people around this expansion and finding other investors that can lead it in those markets. And so it's all about, you know, how do we grow? How do we ramp up and how do we incentivize them to work as much as they want to find people? And so the pay scale is really based on if they do one, if they do 10, if they do a thousand unlimited amount of growth potential, and you kind of put it, you just say, this is my business that I started, but I want you to have ownership over it. I want you to have to benefit the same, if not more than I will, um, by doing that as well. So um, almost everything that I do, whether it's real estate investing, whether it's business, I try to find the right people. It's who, not how. It's not how am I going to do it. There's a great book by, um, I'm drawing a blank. I think it's Dan Sullivan, who, not how, um, that really speaks to, it's not how do I do something. It's who do I need to bring onto the team? So every business that I start, I got to find the right person or people to do that and help expand it. Um, I had the goal last year to um to put out a book that i wrote a few years ago just never ended up publishing it um the cash flow breakfast club which kind of tells my story mm -hmm. and and gives like the the core steps for anyone to become financially free in real estate right and and so i put that all into the book but i couldn't do it i'm not a publisher i'm not even a writer so i had to find the right team the right publisher the right, right the right, right everyone the who not how to get it out there and it's been a blessing so it's published and 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 that kind of has led to this education program that we and these groups that we, um, you know, are, are leading to, and now that's probably going to be the biggest expansion of a real estate education brand in the next three years. It would be my guess nationwide, one of the bigger brands out there. You know, every you never think what actually can spawn from one book and one idea yeah. for that book, because I'm in the same boat you're in. You're expanding and whatnot. My my whole journey expanded with my first book. Okay, nice. <laughs> and that's how I'm actually actually doing this show right now because of promoting the book and actually uh, still teaching and, and learning as, as well as the people like yourself and other guests and future guests uh, that I bring value because not everybody has this type of um, motivation and drive or accessibility to the people that they want to do something or they have the stream to do something. And on top of that, it's, it's hard and they give up. They just plan out, give up because they don't know where to go for anything. Yeah, you're exactly right. That that drive is so key, and and we're we're in such an amazing economy where we have the potential to start these businesses, to write books, to affect. You know, we we all have goals that we want to achieve, but um, you know, at some point, I think we all have a need to make an impact and to have bigger meaning beyond just us. And and that's what some of these things are, right? At some point, you have enough real estate. You don't need any more real estate, but can you grow to a level where man, I could do something really cool with this or I can like <laughs> or help or whatever it may be. And so that's where we are um, on these next businesses. Well, uh, we only have a couple seconds left, Omni. Uh, where can my audience learn more about you uh, and your book and whatnot? Before yeah, absolutely. Call up. Yeah, Omni the Investor Guy is my website. The book's on Amazon, uh, but you can get it from OmniTheInvestorGuy.com on social at Omni the Investor Guy. Try to put out some free um, educational content about um, real estate in general, investing, residential, and commercial, and our education, our free education platform. 
Uh, wonderful. I will get those links in the description here and post them in, uh, after the show. Uh, but that's our show for this week, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you got some content out, some great content out of this, uh, especially in the commercial field of uh, investing in real estate. And next week I have Elena Fernandez. So this show goes out to all the single moms out there, uh, single parents as well, about how to start a business and how to invest. Uh, until then, enjoy this, you know, the time that you can, uh, think about your next, uh, investment or adventure and, uh, take one step to do it every day. Uh, this is Magnus Carter, your host of the making more money for you show. Uh, thank you for tuning in and have a great night. Thanks for listening to making more money for you with Magnus Carter on the voice America business channel. We look forward to the next show where we will be making more money for you. Until then, have a fantastic week.